Hello and welcome to Run With Me On This, a podcast with a difference. My name is Stacey and over the next half an hour or so, I'm going to guide you through the ins and outs of an interesting topic. If you're listening to this beat-free version, you've chosen not to listen to it with music and that's absolutely fine. Sometimes music can be a bit distracting or irritating or maybe you're listening to this while you're trying to get off to sleep. Don't worry, I don't mind if you fall asleep halfway through. Just listen to the second half tomorrow. If you fancy a workout and want some motivation, go back to the podcast feed and listen to the music version. It has up-tempo music with songs from independent artists from around the world that's designed to keep your feet moving whilst teaching you about an interesting topic. If you're sticking around here, you're still going to hear exactly the same show just without the music. Are you a pen clicker, a knuckle cracker or a spot picker? Maybe you talk to yourself when you're typing or can't help singing along to the radio. Seeing as it's the new year and a new decade, everyone is all about self-improvement and making resolutions to be better. Keeping that in mind, this week we're talking about bad habits. Why were women banned from smoking in New York? Do people in India really think burping is a compliment? And why was Pavlov obsessed with dog saliva? We're going to go back in time and travel all around the world to answer these questions and discover more about the subject. So if you're ready, why not run with me on this? So what is a bad habit? Wikipedia describes bad habit as a negative behaviour pattern. Things like biting your nails or smoking. Bad habits can interrupt your life affect your relationships with friends and family and can sometimes affect your health. Habits are things you don't often realise you're doing but there is a stimulus which results in an automatic behaviour. Maybe every time you sit to watch a film you start sucking your thumb or picking your nose and you don't even realise you're doing it until someone else points it out. Habits can often be formed as a result of stress or boredom. We all have a great boredom buster in our hands most of the day, our phones. Nowadays, for most of us, our biggest bad habit is social media and the internet. It's my worst habit too, I admit it. Though, if you ask my husband, he would probably say my worst habit is that I don't clean the cutlery properly when I'm washing the dishes. So what's wrong with looking at your phone? Phone snubbing or fubbing is a slang term now used to describe spending time on your smartphone when you're in the presence of other people, especially a romantic partner or love interest. It's becoming an increasing problem amongst couples and an escalating cause of breakups and divorce. We've become a society that seeks instant gratification and validation for any unpleasant emotional state of being. We no longer look first to remedy a problem, but instead seek only to make ourselves feel better. That excitement of a new relationship or marriage is naturally short-lived. Once this excitement wears off, we might become bored and pick up our phones seeking this excitement by talking to someone new. This rush we feel when we first meet a potential partner is readily available with a click and a swipe. This is when we may respond to someone who has commented on a picture of us on social media or go even further and join a chat or dating site. Since the year 2000, the number of marriages has declined and the number of divorces in the US has increased. 92% of these divorces include cell phone or other tech media as evidence of infidelity. A recent study published in Computers in Human Behaviour found a link between social media use and decreased marriage quality. 
It also found that people that don't use social media are 11% happier in their marriages than people that regularly do. With this in mind, some couples are incorporating social media guidelines in their prenuptial agreement to outline acceptable online behaviour, such as not friending exes and not sharing private information or photos without permission. Thankfully, Social media wasn't really a thing to worry about when I got married all those many moons ago, so my husband just has to put up with my little glowing phone next to him in bed at night and in the morning. One of the worst habits has to be smoking. Smoking is not just bad for your health, but it's expensive, it's increasingly antisocial and it's smelly. Way back in 1604, James I of England enforced a whopping 4,000% tax increase on tobacco to discourage people from smoking. It wasn't just about greed on his part either. The wisest fool in Christendom, as he was known then, also published a book called A Counterblast to Tobacco, highlighting his hatred of the habit, which he described as being hateful to the nose. But only a few years later, in the famous English school Eton, in around 1665, pupils were encouraged to smoke a pipe every morning while the plague was taking hold. And why? To make them strong, of course. And when they refused, they were flogged. So if the plague didn't get you, the whip would. Some of you may have heard of Mrs Beaton. She was an English journalist, editor and writer, born in England in 1836. Growing up, my mum had Mrs Beaton's book of household management from 1861 on the shelf, and she referred to it often. Mrs Beaton was not a fan of smoking, and in her book she writes, Smoking reminds me of spitting. But as this is at all times a disgusting habit, I need say nothing more. Never indulge in it. Besides being coarse and atrocious, it is very bad for the health. At the turn of the 20th century, women were ostracised for smoking. In 1904 in New York City, a woman was arrested for smoking a cigarette in a car, with the arresting officer claiming, You can't do that on Fifth Avenue. In 1910, women were forbidden to smoke cigarettes in public in New York City by way of the Sullivan Act. It lasted just two weeks before it was reversed and only one woman was ever arrested during this time. By 1929, smoking was becoming acceptable for women. Smoking was advertised as a great way to lose weight by brands like Lucky Strike, which uses the slogan, Reach for a Lucky instead of a Sweet, in campaigns targeted at both men and women. A sensation was created when George Washington Hill aimed a Lucky Strike advertising campaign at women for the first time, using testimonials from female movie stars and singers. And smoking for women was fine, so long as they didn't chain smoke. It wasn't that it was a disgusting habit or looked bad, but it was seen to interfere with their work. It didn't seem to affect men in the same way for some reason. In the 1970s, smoking was rife amongst sports men and women. Billie Jean King the top tennis player, became a prime promoter for Virginia Slims on her American tour. The brand Virginia Slims was introduced in the US in 1968 with the slogan, You've come a long way, baby, used to explicitly associate the brand with the themes of independence, liberation, slimness, attractiveness, glamour, style and taste. Though smoking rates in developed countries has halved since the 1960s, in low-income and developing countries, smoking is actually on the rise. In 2014, it was estimated that over 1 billion people around the world smoke cigarettes. That's 20% of the world's population. 800 million of these smokers are men. 
Local governments do what they can to prevent the damage caused by passive smoking and nowadays smoking is banned in public places in 125 countries around the world. I think James I would be quite happy with that outcome knowing he could go down the pub without his clothes stinking of smoke. My husband says, if you're on time, you're late. He doesn't sound anything like that, but I can't do a Welsh accent. He hates to be even 30 seconds later than the advertised arrival time for a party or an appointment. Maybe this is a British thing, because in Canada and many other countries, it is socially acceptable to show up late to a dinner party. In fact, it's expected. Turning up on time or early is a big no-no. Now, I know someone who not only turns up late for dinner every time we go out, but she expects the courses to be brought out all at once when she arrives so she can eat them all together. I'm a fast eater, another bad habit of mine, but she literally inhales her food. She'll then look around to see if anyone has leftovers and she'll eat those too. I have even seen her lick her fingers and pick up breadcrumbs that have fallen onto the table. Once she accidentally licked up some cigarette ash, but didn't bat an eyelid. With the speed at which she eats her food, she would fit in well at the table of Queen Victoria. Victoria obviously would be served first at dinner party, and then her guests. The guests had as long as it took for Victoria to eat her course to eat theirs. At big dinners, often those at the end of the table would have their meal whisked away before they even got a morsel. Once, Victoria ate a full seven-course meal in just 37 minutes. That's it, Vicky's done. Let's just hope you bought some sandwiches in your handbag because you ain't getting that royal food today. But not all royal banquets are so wham-bam, thank you, ma'am, or ma'am. Despite what we see in the movies and on TV, Henry VIII did not hold feasts full of debauchery and gluttony. They were extremely civilised with a very firm code of etiquette. Henry and his guests would have eaten with a knife and fingers as forks hadn't been introduced. This would have been very delicately done and involved very complicated rules about what could be touched with the fingers. So what about forks? I use my fork in my right hand, which is a bad habit or bad etiquette. I always have to swap my cutlery over when I'm eating in a restaurant. Would I do this in front of the Queen? If she wasn't looking? Yeah, probably. Of course, it's bad upbringing, eating mainly with a fork and no knife as a child. But if I was eating salad in France, I'd fit right in. Apparently, it's rude to cut up your salad in France. Salad should only be eaten with a fork. Why? Well, some say the vinaigrette would tarnish steel and iron knives back in the olden days, which they didn't want. The cook would cut your salad into bite-sized pieces before it was served and woe betide if you were caught cutting it any further. Now, in Thailand, forks are used as knives. Spoons are used instead of forks. Chopsticks are used for noodles and fingers are used for rice. But God forbid you are eating with your hands in chilli. They never touch their food with their hands and always use utensils. Now, if we fly over to Ethiopia, they think it wasteful to use utensils for eating and don't have individual plates. They have one plate that everyone eats from and they eat with their right hand. In some parts of Ethiopia, they even feed each other, a practice known as gersha. Apparently, the bigger the piece of food you put into another person's mouth, the stronger the bond. Of course, if you're shoving a whole burger into someone's gullet, they may not stay friends with you for very long. However... If said friend swallows it whole, they may be very popular with the boys. All this talk of sharing food as equals would have horrified French diplomat Antoine de Coutin, 
who in 1672 wrote, If everyone is eating from the same dish, you should take care not to put your hand in it before those of a higher rank have done so, and to take food only from the part of the dish opposite you. So, a bad habit's global. Let's start with potentially the least offensive of these noises. <coughs> Slurping. Norbert Elias's 1939 book, The Civilising Process, covered European history from 800 AD to 1900 AD. He has a quote from 1200 which states, A man of refinement should not slurp from the same spoon as somebody else. Some people bite a slice then dunk it in the dish in a coarse way. Refined people reject such bad manners. A number of people even gnaw a bone and then put it back in the dish. This is a serious offence. Now, I'm not a bone gnawer, but I am very sensitive to other people's gross noises. Personally, when I'm on my commute, I can't stand anyone making any noise whatsoever. Sniffing, snorting, breathing, anything. I'm sure it's a low-level misophonia and it affects me to such a point that I even have to move train carriages to get away from someone who's clacking on their laptop keys. If I heard someone slurping soup, it would drive me crazy. So it's a good job I don't live in Japan, where slurping food is a good thing and even a compliment. It shows that you're enjoying the food. If I ever had to visit Japan, I think I'd be wearing earplugs constantly. What about burping? Don't worry, I'm not going to burp. It depends who you're asking as to whether burping is a bad habit or not. One man in Vienna burped so loudly in the presence of a policeman that he was fined £54 for offending public decency back in 2018. It's a shame he wasn't headhunted by the World Burping Federation or the WBF who made competitive burping their hobby. The WBF hold a World Burping Championships, but even their winner can't beat the current world record. Their current champ is Tim Janus, with a winning burp of 18 seconds. This is nothing compared to the actual world record of 1 minute, 13 seconds and 57 milliseconds. You have got to count those milliseconds. This was set by Italian Michelle Forgioni in 2009. The WBF have a long way to go to beat that. Sebastian Rothschild, executive director of the WBF, was quoted as saying, The goal of the WBF, based in Geneva, is to restore burping to a place of respectability in Western culture. With that being said, is there anywhere in the world that does not stigmatise burping? Well, in India, China and Bahrain, burping after a meal can be a sign of appreciation and shows the host you've had your fill. Imagine how pleased you'd be if your guest was Paul Hun from the UK, who uncorked a behemoth burp of 109.9 decibels in 2009 at the holiday camp Butlins. He has been the world record holder for the loudest burp ever since. To give it a bit of perspective, 109 decibels is louder than a jet taking off, louder than a motorcycle going past, a tractor nearby or a helicopter overhead. It's as loud as live rock music and is actually the average human pain threshold. Anything louder than this and it starts to hurt your ears. So, we've done burping, we've done slurping. What about the ultimate taboo? Farting. Whether you call it a pump, a trump, a parp, a toot or a fluff, why don't we like the most natural of bodily functions? Passing wind. A great resonant fart can be hilarious especially if you're a six-year-old boy or a 13-year-old boy 
or a man of any age, to be honest. I think it's the smell that really offends the senses. We've all smelt a fart, even if we don't admit we dealt the fart. We've all seen a room cleared by a classic silent but violent, which is always blamed on the poor dog. It feels like the gases are going to suffocate you. But why should we be repulsed by bottom wind? Is it actually unhealthy to breathe in a fart? A study on the effects of breathing in farts suggests that the hydrogen sulphide in those farts, one of the major components of the smelly gas that gives it the rotten egg smell, can actually lower blood pressure, improve kidney health and reduce the effect of ageing. So, next time your partner cooks up a Dutch oven for you, get your head under the blankets and breathe in that air. You may come out looking younger and feeling healthier. Did you know there are certain people who have a fart fetish, otherwise called eproctophilia. These people like to fart on others, be farted on, or be in proximity to someone farting. It's not about nudity or being sexual. The thrill of the fart being taboo in most situations is where the attraction comes from. It's a shame the policeman who was strip-searching Stuart Cook in September 2019 didn't have a fetish for the bum guffs. Otherwise, he may have got away with offending the copper's nasal passages. Stuart was arrested in Aberdeen, Scotland, at the scene of a car crash. He was searched at the station, and as he bent over with the policeman behind him, he let one rip and shouted, How would you like that? Sorry, my Scottish accent is terrible. The policeman didn't like that at all, and Stuart had to do 75 hours of community service. When you feel a bottom trump coming, you may excuse yourself to go to the toilet and let it go in private. Back to Norbert's book again, and in an excerpt, he talks about holding in your farts. Apparently, it's not healthy. In 1530, it was stated that, If it is possible to withdraw, it should be done alone. If not, let a cough hide the sound, since it is more dangerous to hold back wind than to constrict the bowel. So if you've been heavy on the beans, you better fake a proper chest infection to cover the toot party going on down below. Be thankful it's not the Victorian times. Going to the loo was an altogether more dangerous affair. The bathroom, as we know it, is a Victorian invention. When they were first becoming popular, there were reports of lavatories spontaneously exploding. Flammable gases such as methane and hydrogen sulphide emanated from human waste and built up in the sewers. It could leak back up the toilets into the homes of unsuspecting toilet goers. Houses in those days were lit with candles, so all it would take would be a naked flame mixed with some waste gases and kaboom! So how do we break bad habits? Whether you're taking the opportunity to have a dry January or a meat-free veganuary, us humans are constantly trying to improve ourselves. The ancient Babylonians 4,000 years ago are the first recorded society to have made New Year's resolutions. For them, the year began in mid-March rather than January, which was when the crops were planted. They would have a big 12-day religious festival known as Ikitu, during which the Babylonians crowned a new king or reaffirmed their loyalty to the reigning king. They also made promises to the gods to pay their debts and return any objects they'd borrowed. If they kept their word, the gods would bestow favour on them for the coming year. If they failed to keep their promise, then the gods weren't too happy and the person fell out of favour. Fast forward to 46 BC and Julius Caesar changed the calendar so that a year now began in January. The Romans would offer sacrifices to Janus, the god for which January is named. 
they would make promises of good conduct for the coming year. Nowadays, New Year's resolutions are less about religion and appeasing the gods and more about self-improvement. As many as 45% of Americans say they usually make a New Year's resolution, whereas only 8% manage to reach their goals. And yet it doesn't stop us repeatedly making resolutions, does it? When I was little, maybe eight years old, I had a bad habit of chewing my hair. I had hair in my mouth almost constantly. It was comforting for some reason. One evening, as I was watching TV, having a good old chew on my hair, I tried to remove the hair from my mouth and there was a tugging sensation under my tongue. One of the hairs had somehow threaded or embedded itself into my tongue. I couldn't pull it out. I was scared, obviously. I didn't know what to do. My mum wasn't in the house, she was over at a friend's, so I trekked out to go and find her. When she saw me, she laughed. I mean, it was a weird scenario, I don't blame her. She had to cut the hair to release my tongue, but to this day I am convinced the end of it is still embedded in there somehow. I never chewed my hair again. Hopefully, not everyone has to go through such trauma to break their habits. Imagine if you get your finger stuck up your nose whilst you're picking out bogeys and have to cut your finger off. It's rather extreme. Associating bad habits with negative stimuli is the route one company embraces to help break the pattern. It uses the techniques of classical conditioning made popular by Ivan Pavlov. You know, the guy with the drooling dogs. Did you know that Pavlov had not intended to do experiments on conditioning? He was actually interested in investigating how dogs produce saliva when they eat. He placed a tube inside their cheek, which was connected to a little machine to count the drops of saliva seeping from the dogs when they were presented with food. Now, I say food, but it was actually meat powder. Powdered meat. I didn't know such a thing existed. If I was presented with powdered meat, I think my mouth would instantly dry up and there would be nothing on earth that could make me produce enough saliva to swallow that down. But hey, dogs will eat anything. So during his experiment, he realised that the dogs were producing saliva when they saw his lab assistant, even though there was no food. He then scrapped his dog spit experiments and concentrated on classical conditioning. Essentially, when an association is made between two stimuli, like bell ringing and food being produced, the new stimuli, the bell, brings about the same response as the old one, the food, without it being present. So now there's a bracelet that gives an electric shock whenever someone does their bad habit. It should eventually make them associate the bad habit with the bad stimulus and thus stop them from doing the habit. Now, as humans, we have the ability to just take that bracelet off and reach for the chocolate cookies. So how effective it is, I don't know. But the website for the Pavlok bracelet has a list of apparent bad habits that this bracelet will stop you doing. There are 176 things it says need correcting with electrotherapy. These range from your typical bad habits like biting your nails and smoking to somewhat normal activities such as eating meat, eating dairy, eating gluten and masturbating. (laughs) Can you imagine getting an electric shock every time you masturbated? Though come to think of it there might be some people who like that but seriously one effective way people try to quit their habits be it smoking or overeating is hypnotherapy now there is a big difference between hypnosis and hypnotherapy don't worry your therapist isn't going to make you stop biting your nails by getting you to cluck like a chicken whenever you hear elvis presley Hypnotherapy focuses your mind and allows the therapist to suggest healthier behaviour whilst you're in a suggestive state. And this is the ultimate aim when trying to break bad habits. You're not eliminating the bad habit completely, 
you just replace it with a better habit. When professional dance or running coaches try to stop their students from continuing the bad habits they've picked up through the years, they teach them the right way to do it instead. But when the bad habit is something you've formed as a coping mechanism to deal with stressful situations, this can be an altogether more difficult cycle to break. When the bad habits provide you with some type of benefit or comfort, it is difficult to give them up. That's why it doesn't work to go cold turkey. As a quick aside here, the term cold turkey first appeared in print in the early 20th century. The origin is unclear, but it either derives from the phrase talking turkey or talking cold turkey, as it once was, meaning just to cut to the chase. Or it could be that when withdrawing from drugs, people look pale, sick and clammy like a raw plucked turkey. Anyway, back to breaking habits. To break a bad habit, find a substitute for your habit. Plan ahead of time and work out how you will react when facing triggering stresses in your life. It's important to try and cut out those triggers. Throw out the sweets and chocolates, move the games console out of the living room so you're not tempted the minute you walk in the house. And don't worry if you slip up and eat a Snickers or burp at your brother's wedding. Tomorrow is another day. So that's it from me for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for listening, whether you're running, cycling or doing the washing up. You can follow the show on Twitter at RunWithMePod and Instagram at RunWithMeOnThis. Look out for the Jog On episode in your podcast feed. This will be a mini episode where I give feedback from listeners and talk about your running achievements. Bye for now and remember, what I say may not always make a lot of sense, but run with me on this. This podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritPodScene.com or BritPodScene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.